thank you for calling Ashland Electric Bikes. We're back to our normal summer hours, which is Tuesday through Saturday from 11 to 5. Leave a message and we'll call you just as soon as we can. Thank you. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Jerry, you did not answer the phone. Where are you, Jerry? Did you realize you have the same initials as Jerry Seinfeld? Jerry Solomon, who sold me an electric bike? Okay, so you're too busy to take my call. I will call you back, Jerry, J.S., same as Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry Solomon, calling you back in just a few minutes. Thanks again. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Crater Lake Taxi. Competent drivers, clean vehicles, on time, anytime. Crater Lake Taxi, 541-333-3333. I am Citizen 44. Please listen carefully. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. Yes, you heard it correctly. I pulled the trigger. I own a beautiful electric bike. I am so in love with my electric bike. I recommend that everybody who can go out right now and buy an electric bike. I'm not kidding you, man. I love riding motorcycles. I like being out in it. I like the thrill of the speed and the, the you know, being on a machine without being enclosed. And uh, this does it. And and uh, Andy Baxter would be thrilled at how this uh, can be used as a simple exercise machine that doesn't sit inside a building, inside a room, inside a gym. This is an exercise machine that goes out and you can be in amongst the other living things that are here and there that you can ride on roads through and things like that. It's amazing. So we have uh, a politically incorrect road here called Dead Indian Memorial Highway, and it goes up, I don't know how many miles it is, but it goes up and around the Hyatt Lake, and then it comes back down Route 66, so you can make a loop uh, from uh, Dead Indian Memorial Highway down 66 and back into Ashland. Part of that is closed right now, unfortunately. But the other day, I did take the bike up about seven and a half miles to Cove Road. And the bike did great. I pedaled the whole way, used the uh, pedal assist at level six, the maximum level as I do for the most part, and cranked up the hill. And the bike is solid, man. It's so fun. Oh, my God. It is so fun. And I'm doing good by myself, meaning I am taking care of my body and enjoying it. And like Andy Baxter says, do whatever you love. Just do something, essentially. And so I'm afraid that I may now eliminate Andy's uh, gym experience from my life and replace that with the bike full time uh, for at least an hour a day. I think he would approve, although he's not getting my money anymore. And I'm going to strongly recommend to him that he recommend electric bikes to his his clients 
especially since they're older people. You know, part of the goal of getting old is avoiding falling down. And that's all about being in condition to not fall down, to be in more control of your body. And I think the electric bike is the ticket. And uh, you can get uh, trikes. You can get the three-wheeled electric vehicle to uh, add some more stability to your uh, exercise and outdoor recreational experience. So I'm going to highly recommend these bikes to everybody. And by the way, I got financed for the uh, almost $2,000 that I paid for this bike, which is worth every penny. I don't have to buy fuel. I don't have to buy insurance. Uh, I don't need any special licensing. Uh, I don't need anything. I don't even have to wear a helmet, and I haven't been, and I'm sure a lot of people would think I'm a, a fucking idiot, but so be it. I like the freedom. You know, we're forced to do so many things, and this is kind of the last thing that I can do that I can do. So if, if I fall and break my neck doing it, well, I'm going to love that I fell and broke my neck doing this because it's crazy, man. So I, I cruised up Dead Indian Memorial Highway about seven and a half miles, and then I turned around and like Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic, although my arms were not spread out, I was holding onto the handlebars, but I was standing up on the pedals and I got this thing at cruising speed of about 31 and a half miles an hour with the assist, not pedaling, just standing up, using the motor full on, just the motor. And it was super fun, man. Just cranking it down this hill. The brakes are excellent. Uh, it's a very safe bike. I feel very comfortable in my getting a little crazy with it because um, uh, it gives me confidence knowing that this is a high quality machine. So again, I recommend this for all ages. I The day of the eclipse, I went over to Val and the kids' house and uh, hung out with them a little bit. And I taught Zoe, while the eclipse was going on, how to ride this bike. And she was a little intimidated at first, but uh, after getting up to level three with the uh, pedal assist, I think she's got it. And because she rides her bike to school a few days a week, she said there's a few spots that are a little challenging for her. And I'd much rather her be able to pedal and just keep pedaling than maybe have to overexert herself before school and after school. So uh, I'm going to share the bike with Zoe, and, uh, and she did great, and I think she's going to have a good time with it. It's easy. It's like being on a stationary exercise bike, except you get to go someplace. The tension on it, uh, the resistance on it is reduced uh, by the electric motor, but that doesn't mean you stop pedaling. You keep pedaling, and that's the beauty of this machine is even though you're getting the assist, you're pedaling, man. I mean, you don't have to, but I want to pedal. I want to make the machine go a little bit, which it's really just going through the motion of pedaling, but uh, non-resistant, the Gandhi non-resistant method of bicycle riding, become non-resistant. It, it's a lot more fun, frankly. So that's that. Uh, I'm all electrified with the bike. I actually accidentally dropped the battery today in my apartment, and it's very heavy. And uh, shh, it dented up the floor a little bit, but uh, hardly noticeable. And it also bent the key a little bit. But again, it's fine. Uh, I've been uh, a little uh, tripping out about the safety of the bike, but I got a, a good lock and uh, it's, it seems secure. And, uh, and I'm just going to leave it outside secured. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where the bike is, but just know it's outside someplace in Ashland locked up 
battery removed, key removed, leave it alone. I was going to put a, a Citizen 44 sticker on it, but then I decided maybe somebody around here knows that's me, doesn't like me, doesn't like the show, whatever, and decides, well, here's an opportunity to express my feelings about Mark Ahrensberg. So I'm not giving away the location of my my new girlfriend. And uh, my girlfriend's name is Magnum, and she uh, was created in Israel, actually. This bike is designed and built in Israel. It's a folding bike that I saw with a big dude on it, and I thought, that's it, man. That's what I want. And you know what? That's what I got. I got exactly what I wanted. I always get exactly what I want. Sometimes I get things that I don't know that I want, and then I have to deal with that once I get them. But for the most part, I get everything I want. And so now I have this bike and I love getting up in the morning, even early after working till 5 a.m. and jumping on. And uh, it's got a cup holder on it now. And, it, and I had a mirror put on the side yesterday and uh, it's very comfortable. I can put my headphones on and be Bluetooth with my phone, listening to Pandora, get my jazz on and go the distance. And I think I've charged the battery enough now, I can really go for a ride. It's supposed to go 50 miles. Yesterday, I only went about 20 miles or less, and the battery went down to two bars out of five. So I'm just calculating how much life I can get out of this thing. But I'll just take the plug with me too. Uh, next time I wanna go ahead and uh, use up the battery, I'll just take the plug with me and and hopefully end up in a place where I can kick it for four hours and, and recharge it fully and then turn around and go home. So there you go. I'm happy with my purchase. I'm so, so, so satisfied. And I let Jerry know. Again, I am going to recommend that people get out of your cars. Get out of your cars, especially if you live here in Ashland. If you only have to drive a mile, get out of your car. And uh, go get yourself an electric bike. Go get your family electric bikes. If you have the wherewithal, the money. This is how we change the future. We have to start with those that are willing to do things that others are not doing. And make that normal for their children. So their children's children see that as normal. That is the evolutionary process. Changing behavior patterns and then passing those patterns along replacing old patterns, patterns that do not serve us, patterns that are self-destructive. So I'm doing this and I'm gonna teach my daughter and she's gonna ride it. And then my kids' kids are gonna ride those things and then they're gonna ride those things into the future. And then the future is gonna to be totally different with a lot more thoughtfulness and mindfulness and happiness and reasonableness for everybody. So go out and get yourself a fucking electric bike today. Do it. Call Jerry, man. Jerry Solomon, Jerry Solomon. That's who we have on the show today, Mr. Jerry Solomon, Ashland Electric Bikes. 10 years in the making, a man who cares about us, wants us to have fun, feel good, and take care of the environment. There's no reason it needs to be a chore to do the right thing. Why can't it be fun just to change a behavior pattern and roll into a new way of being mobile? And I think we're on the way. You know, we've got the Tesla company. We have people thinking uh, in ways that are going to help us uh, stop doing things that are so harmful to ourselves. Evolution is going to take time. 
I was in the taxi last night with this woman, Susan, who is here addressing the local school board and teaching children how to think critically. She's been working for 57 years on helping teachers teach children more effectively, more reasonably. And we had a very heartfelt 15-minute ride to the airport at 3.30 this morning, and I, I bonded with this woman, and I want to do the work with her that she's doing, and that is informing teachers how to inform students. I'm actually going to assist her in uh, coming up with her own podcast because we need more people talking about what we need to do. Jerry Solomon's on the show. Love Jerry. He's the rizzle dizzle, man. He's the real deal dude. A Jewish cat, another Jewish cat, making good right here in Ashland, Oregon. Turning the people on, giving them a way out, a way out with a new way in. To be out, in it, with it, electrified, looking at it, breathing, having a good time, becoming more self-sufficient, being able to self-govern through eliminating the vehicle that causes the rules, that cause the problems, that creates the anxiety, that creates the authority necessary to enforce. You don't need anything other than maybe a helmet to ride a bicycle. So maybe I need to get a helmet. But, you know, fuck that. I love riding with no helmet. So hopefully none of you here in Ashland have to clean up my shit if I crash and uh, leave a bit of a mess. All right, here we go. We're here with Jerry Solomon, the owner of Ashland Electric Bikes, which is a very successful business here in Ashland. And you're one of the local pioneering guys of the electric bike business, although there's been a lot of people come along after you doing what I hear is not nearly as good a job as you, but you definitely have gone through the motions, the painstaking development of creating this unique business. True story. That is the future of humanity, I think, really, honestly. I mean, just like Segways and all these machines that are going to help us stop kicking the shit out of the planet, you are at the forefront with your electric bikes. So how's that going? It's going really well. Business is doing well. It keeps growing every year. And uh, it's nice because more and more people are aware of what's going on when they come through the door. Ten years ago, every person through the door, it was a 30-minute conversation explaining everything about what these bikes were all about. And now I got people coming in that know exactly which bike they want because they've been doing the research. And so the arc of awareness has definitely increased here in the U.S. We're behind here in the United yeah, States? Yeah, electric bikes have been, they've been big in Asia for two decades. And uh, it's been about the last six years that it's really taken off in Europe. So now we seem to be poised to just be following suit with that. So I notice it in the industry based on the companies that are now available in the U.S. You know, there's the, been a lot of the sweet bikes. manufacturers, you mean? Yeah. yeah. I've been looking at bikes that are really nice equipment that's just not been available in the U.S. Right. And in the last couple of years, those big companies are going, okay, the Americans are ready. The numbers look like they're going to be there. We're going to jump in and play now. So, right. And I, I got to hope that their number crunchers know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to be playing out that way. So. Cool. Well, I was in Thailand for seven months, so I did not see any electric bikes. And maybe it's more prevalent in, like, Japan Well, they China. also, they, they have something that they call an electric bike over there. Basically, it's a, it looks like a scooter. 
but instead of a gas engine, it's electric. Yeah, I didn't see much in the way of electric. Everybody was in line at the gas station. Burning gas. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and you would well, think maybe that one of the manufacturers of even the motorcycles, somebody would come up with an electric vehicle that's reasonably priced for these people since they're all buzzing around on them, literally. Right. This would be like the demographic to introduce electric bikes, of course, or electric motorcycles, at least, scooters. So, yeah, I don't know what to say about Thailand. What I can tell you, I can throw some facts at you. In 2014, we sold about 175,000 electric bikes in all of the U.S. for the year. Yeah. Which is really pretty pretty sad. Yeah. That same year, they sold 30 million in China alone. Huh. Just electric bikes. Well, there's God only knows how many regular bikes they sell. Well, but they're also, look at the numbers. I mean, there's just more people on bikes. I mean, right. we're not a bike culture here. We're That's a specialty culture still, I think, at this point. That more people are getting on bikes, but people typically don't ride bikes. They, they're in cars. Sure. Because we're also not this highly condensed. We're pretty right. spread out. Yeah, that's a big we, piece of it. And we need to get places, which is where the electric bike seems to be gaining some ground is because you can get someplace on it. And you don't have to be half dead when you get there from settling. So I, I, I've never ridden one. I've seen a variety, even in town here, small ones with small uh, wheels and big guys on it. And then the bigger bikes. And there's looks like there's a lot of choice in what you can purchase. How do you make that choice? You know, hopefully you find somebody that's knowledgeable about it, that walks you through it and uh, has choices. And for me, it's I find out what the person wants to do with their bike. And then that points us in the direction sure. of which bikes to show them. So there's that, you know, there's that indefinable, just what lights you up. Right. You know, somebody comes in, if they can't stop looking at that bike over there, while well, I'm talking about this one, well, then maybe we should go over and look at that bike. They're going to be excited about it. Sure. They'll say yes to every day and climb on and ride. Is there a particular model of bike that's the most popular? Or is it no, pretty much, really. this is kind of like buying a car. It's your personal choice. You get the color and the style and the features and the things. Yeah, yeah, pretty okay. much like that. It, it goes a little bit beyond that with bikes, just the different styles of bikes. There's town bikes, there's trail bikes, there's cargo bikes. If you want to haul a lot of stuff or you right. want to carry a couple of kids, all those things. How much can these things pull now? What's the capacity of the motors? Well, the, the bigger cargo bikes are good for up to 400 pounds of wow. capacity. So these things can, like, go up hills now because there was a time when, you know, the power wasn't there. I mean, the, the idea was still there, but they couldn't get people around oh, right. by commuter bikes. But now these things are commuter bikes, right? They're as powerful as they can be by law, and even at that level, they, you know, they get the job done. How far can you go on a, a single charge? We've got bikes that are good for over 100 miles at this point. Okay. So that has changed drastically as well as the power and just the overall efficiency. And how hard are they to charge? What if you're out in the middle of a hibbity-do? I mean, are you carrying around a power plug with you and you can just stick it in anywhere? Yeah, you've got a power supply that's probably about the size of your laptop power supply, maybe okay. a little bit bigger. And all you need is 110 volts. Okay. And it takes, very, it takes about a nickel's worth of electricity to refill one of these batteries that's completely drained. So we're not talking a, a big power consumption. Right. A little teeny power inverter that you plug in your cigarette lighter. Yeah. That'll support it. Really? Battery, How uh, long does it take charger. typically to charge fully? Fully, I would say four to six hours at the at the longest. Okay. And that I would imagine is going to change too. That 
I'll be able to charge quicker, have superchargers kind of thing. Like even with my phone, I have this charger and it says one time on one of the uh, little ports and the other one says two times. And no doubt, the two times is twice as fast right. in the charging capability. So I'm thinking that once more people are on bikes, they don't want to sit around and wait four to six hours. Plus, I would imagine, too, that the distance will increase. That's got to be part of the equation is get you on that bike longer and not having to deal with charging it. Sure. Well, that's all. You're, you're talking about the batteries now. And right. It's all about the batteries with cars, with bikes, and that's where all the big advances are happening. There's a range of process that things need to go through, these new technologies. And so, you know, every small range car that's out there, that gets more people interested. There's just a greater demand for cars and bikes with longer lasting batteries. I like your shirt, by the way. Um, Thank you. You got a cool logo. Who did your logo? I did, of course. Did you? Yeah. Of course you did. And I just found out, actually, a couple days ago, one of my customers, we were having lunch to co-op, and he said that this is similar to the, the Greek letter phi, which most of us call it phi, you know, alpha, yeah. alpha, alpha, kappa, phi. It's, you say it phi, yeah. phi. And one of the interpretations is epiphany. And I've often told the story that the way Ashton Electric Bikes started was I converted a mountain bike of mine that I had. I bought a conversion kit, put it on, and I had... I've often called it a mini epiphany. It's one of those, oh, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, what's the future? What are the possibilities with this? And was it a gas bike or was it electric? No, it was electric. Okay. Because I know people were doing gas conversion. Ironically, those guys were in the same commercial center as I was. So I got to listen to them zooming back and forth over there on Hersey Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you got to see. I got to see and more, more importantly hear and smell those nasty right. little things. Right. So you developed one bike, and then where did you take it from there? Well, in the beginning, what I did was uh, I was taking uh, regular bikes and adding conversion kits to them. Yeah. I did that first bike, and I just had to do it again, and then I had to do it again. It was, I mean, I joked that this is a, a hobby that got out of hand. Right. And that's that's pretty accurate, because that's how it started. And about six months into it, I looked around my little cottage like this and it looked a lot like the uh, service department of my shop looks like now right and i just laughed and said you know there's there's a business here that is wanting to be birthed in ashland and i guess i'm the guy for it were you the first one yes okay well technically i mean when i first converted my bike i got all excited i went around town to all the bike shops to see what else was out there yeah one shop had one bike that nobody knew anything about and I left feeling like I was guilty for even asking about the, the cheater electric bike. Right. Another shop had a conversion kit that was woefully underpowered compared to what I had just put on my bike. Right. And I thought, this is crazy. I, I can do better than this. I, I just did better than this right out of the gate. Right. And Ashland really needs to have access to these things. Right. I mean, I really did get excited, and I saw the potential to make a difference in the world with these things. Right. And uh, one big piece with it is I've been an avid cyclist my whole life. And, you know, I've been one of those people that has been shooting on everybody else. So everybody should be on a bike. And, sure. And I realized, okay, this, this is that kind of bridging the gap between, you know, uber healthy people that are on bikes and everybody else that maybe might want to be on a bike, but they're not looking to bust a lung just to go to work every day. Right. 
So this is, you know, it's giving you that ease of, of a motorized vehicle. Also the ease and the joy and you can smell the roses literally of riding a bike. Right. I think there's a, there's a lot of promise in this. Yeah. And so I wanted to pursue it and make it available to people. Are you from here? No, I was, uh, my, my bicycling career, if you want to call it that, really was honed in Colorado. Okay, that's so where you're I, born. I did a lot of serious mountain biking in Colorado, and no, I, I'm from Illinois originally. Okay, so way back in the day, it was more road bikes, college days. You know, I took right. a few trips on bikes, and so bikes have always been a part of my life. And actually, most of my living, working situations have been based around the idea that I want to be able to ride my bike right. more than drive my vehicle. Huh. So it really has driven my, my decisions most of my adult life. Yeah, I guess it was just a natural fit okay. for me to move into I mean, I never, ever imagined I would own a bike shop. And then suddenly here I was offering these electric bikes. How long after you started you know, tooling around with this did you start selling your bikes? The make a living part, that's actually only come in the last few years. Uh, what I've been doing up until then is pretty much turning everything back into the business, reinvesting right. to grow it to what it is now. But, uh, I mean, the very first year I sold a couple of bikes, and then, and this was back when it was more of a hobby than a full-time endeavor. Right. So it's just been a very slow, steady, organic growth. What kind of bike did you start with that you modified? Uh, the very first one was actually, it was a mountain bike style bike, but I was setting it up as a, as a city bike. I call it the Windrunner, and there's still a handful of them that are running around town here. You had a, a factory bicycle, and, and you modified that, or did you kind of create your own bicycle? No, it was a, actually, the whole story is, it was one of the first state-of-the-art electric bikes back in the day. This was back in, uh, that bike was available early 2000s for a few years, and then that company was dissolved and they split off into two other companies. But there was a handful of their inventory still floating around the country. Yeah. And I got I got wind of them and I ended up buying, I probably built about two dozen of those hmm. over the course of a handful So they come years. as a kit? So, well, no, That what they had done is they stripped off all the electric components and just sold off the bicycles. Yeah. Uh, some of them I got, it was a complete bike, less wheels. Some of them I bought just the frames mm -hmm. and then added everything else to it. Mm -hmm. So I basically, it was sort of a redesign of what was originally intended to be an electric bike. Okay. But the, the batteries, the motors, all that were n new components that I specced myself. Okay. I actually did the one piece that was truly unique to my shop was the battery case and the battery itself that I came up with. So you designed them? Yeah, I labored over that for years to get the the ideal battery for this bike in the in the place on the bike that it should be. Hmm. It was a very small space that it wouldn't literally it wouldn't hold what was available at the time. Right. And so I finally found some really high density. Uh, they still make the same exact battery today. They haven't changed that. They were so far ahead of their time almost 10 years ago. Huh. So I could get the capacity I wanted in this small triangular space that I had to work with. Mm -hmm. So I designed the case. I had some folks in Central Point make the aluminum cases for me. And I probably did, well, about a dozen of those Windrunners had the uh, the new improved, call it built-in battery system. Right. Then it was really, really a nice bike mm -hmm. at that point. So for the most part, 
it's the same with bikes as it is with cars. There's a whole range of anxiety thing. And uh, some more facts and figures, 90% of all the trips that are made in the U.S. are under 10 miles right. in a day. You know, I've had people come in and say, well, I really would like something that can go 75 to 100 miles. And then, you know, I, I look at that person and then pause and say, okay, let's get real here. Can you go 75 to 100 miles right. on a bike? Right. And in most instances, there's been a pause on their part and then, okay, I guess, I guess I'm not sure. Probably not. Hmm. So that's what I call range anxiety. Everybody wants more than they actually really need. Hmm. As the batteries are getting larger, and, or the, at least the range is getting longer, more and more people that are touring type cyclists right. are getting interested. I had a woman just a couple of days ago, she came down from Canyonville to buy a bike. She likes to do 60 to 100 mile road rides right. with a group of friends. And she said, I'm always the last one you know, in the crowd. And she goes, you know, it would be nice to actually arrive at the lunch spot with everybody else right. and have lunch with them right. instead of I pull up and they're all just finishing eating and getting back on their bikes right. and I eat alone and I ride alone. Right. I said, I want to I want to level the playing field. Yeah. So this bike that she bought is definitely going to level. I mean, the truth is it's going to put her at the front of the pack. She's going to be she waiting for them. To do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome that she, especially for older people, that really, the assist is really genius, of course, mm-hmm. because they still get to get their exercise but they're never going to be stuck and run out of literally run out of human gas where they can at least rely if something happens they can keep going. So that's pretty cool technology for older people too. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is going to make people potentially healthier because maybe the adversity to riding a bike is well I got to do it all myself and Frank I, I don't want to. So is that kind of your customer is someone Yeah, I'm seeing that and there there's been numerous articles people have crunched the numbers and you know people can in fact get healthier and lose weight you know riding an electric bicycle because what happens is for the most part almost everybody ends up riding more right because they're enjoying it because they're enjoying it and it's easier so you're putting in more time you're putting in more miles so it's not that short intense workout but it's still cumulatively you're getting the same amount of exercise you're burning the same calories right so the option is there. Right. You know, there. I also have customers that, you know, I see them riding around town and the pedals are never moving, but the bike's flying down the road. Right. So I know they're not really getting a whole lot of exercise, but the car is parked while right. it's happening. Right. To me, that's kind of my battle cry is less cars, more bikes. Right. So to me, with that is my premise, there is no cheating. You know, I right. still have people come and go, well, these are cheater bikes, you're cheating. And Usually my first response is, well, number one, I didn't realize it was a test. And then number two, you know, if it's getting people out of their cars and, you know, they're getting out into nature, they're, they're talking to their neighbors, you know, it's a, it's a more connected experience to their external environment. Where is the cheating? In well, that? there is no cheating. That's Yeah, weird. of course, there is no cheating. No, that's, I mean, it's like why I walk. I want to be exposed. I want to slow down a little bit and be exposed to my environment and cycling exposes you to your environment you can stop you know it's not like a car where you're you have to flow with things you can just pull off on the side of the road and go for a hike and jump back on your bike i mean cars are a little more you know complicated to deal with and parking and things who's your typical customer is there a an age range or a type of person that comes in looking for one of these bikes yeah i I can't say there's a type i get all types 
and thankfully the age range is is changing all the time there are more and more young people that are getting hip to the whole idea you know more and more younger kids are seeing what's involved in owning a car and they're like they're, they're not interested in going down that road. It's very expensive too. Yeah, it's expensive. It's you know even in Little Ashland, it's a hassle with parking. And, sure. You know you you get almost anywhere faster on an electric bike than in a car. You just pull right up to the front door and lock it to the pole, Literally. and you're in. So so that's expanding. I still would say probably the median age is uh, probably 40s to 50s. Okay. And it, it it drops down to you know all the way to 16. And I've got 70 and 80-year-olds that are still riding bikes, which, you know, I salute them every time somebody comes in the shop Yeah, that's in their 80s and they want to buy a bike. I'd love to see that. And it's really only because of this electric assist. Otherwise, these people would not be buying bicycles. Right. So that's really cool that that age group is able to appreciate and use it effectively, and it could be prolonging their lives, at least giving them a better quality of life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, my story around that, there was a woman, I, she just recently passed away. So she literally rode till her death. But the kids took the car away from her, I guess it was three years ago, because, you know, she just, they felt like she wasn't qualified to keep driving a car. Right. And How so, old was she, do you know? She was in her 80s. Yeah. So she came into the shop, and she was a lifelong cyclist. Yeah. But she just didn't have the strength or the balance anymore. So we built her a, a custom uh, trike that, that she bought and rode for the last three years. Wow. And, and she came back and she said, Jerry, this thing, it's worth living again. She said, before I got this bike, I was just sitting around hoping somebody would come visit me and then take me to, to go somewhere. Right. And now I've got my freedom and my mobility again. Hmm. And, you know, I've seen her around town the last three years just... You know, driving like a banshee on that thing. Wow. Just going fast, taking chances, and smiling and having fun. Now, what's the safety concerns? Now, you've got people on bikes with cars and people that aren't paying attention and maybe older people on bikes. And have you heard of any accidents with your bikes? Uh, I, I had one person, he still doesn't know exactly what happened, but he crashed and learned his lesson about not wearing a helmet. Mm. And now he's wearing a helmet every day, and he has a shattered eardrum. Oh. So I'm not noticing that it's any higher instances than regular bikes. Okay. There's not this epidemic of old, feeble people crashing, if that's well, no, what you're I, wondering. No, but that's very interesting that you said that you set this woman up with kind of the trike thing. So is that something now you've, you've had this person? Is this something now you can create for others like her of her age? So they can have a bicycle experience that's a little more stable. Sure. I'm sure I've got at least a dozen of those already out in the world. Oh, okay. People with varying instances. One of those customers was a challenged teenage girl Mm -hmm. that had never really ventured out of her house without her parents taking her somewhere. Wow. And Dad had the vision that maybe one of these electric trikes might be a solution here to some degree. Yeah. So the the family came one weekend day and... (laughs) Mom was a wreck. She was in tears in the lobby. She couldn't even watch this whole process. Because her daughter was becoming independent? Well, who knows? I mean, she was fearful. I'm sure that's genuine. Well, that's why the girl never left the house. She was... Could be. Her her mother's daughter. Yeah, and this girl was like... I mean, she was just... She was so closed in and non-responsive. And it was all I could do just to get her to, to activate and become a part of the process. Right. 
An hour later, I couldn't keep up with her. She was flying around the parking lot, smiling and talking. And the dad came back a week later and said, this thing has been fantastic. He goes, and I'll tell you the truth, the first day, by the end of the day, she crashed it at the end of the driveway because she just kept feeling bolder and bolder. Right. But she had a helmet on, she didn't get hurt, and uh, she learned a valuable lesson. And now she's not as crazy as you know she was beginning to be. It's like she was just drunk on the freedom sure. of yeah. doing what she could. Wow. So she got her, you know, her wrist slapped. She figured out, okay, I got to respect this. Yeah. And he said it's fabulous. Healthy fear. Every day she goes out and she doesn't go very far, but she gets to go somewhere without saying, Mom, Dad, will you take me somewhere out of the wow. house? Wow. That's, dude, that so, is fucking I love brilliant. those stories. Is that story like on your website? Um, it's not. And uh, this is the first time I've actually told it. Because they, I, I wanted to get pictures of them and put them on my Facebook page, and they were uber protective and said, "No, we're not going to go there with you." You don't need the pictures. The words are powerful, and for you to just, I just imagine someone else reading that who's one of these people stuck indoors, and to get inspired by a story of just getting on a bike and starting to live your life. I mean, that's why the mother was a wreck. I mean, even I tell the story of my mom, who my grandmother never let her go. Swimming in the ocean, never let her ride horses. She was petrified of my mother getting hurt. But my mother did the opposite with me, which is why I think I'm pretty fearless, is she never stopped me from doing anything. And intentionally, she wanted me to not have this closed experience like she did. But mobility is so important that we are, even as children, you're reliant on your parents to get you, you know, to yes. soccer practice, sure. to this. How amazing would it be if everybody could just get on their bike and know that they don't have to pedal the whole way and be exhausted and have to exercise to be mobile, that they could just scoot around. So yes, you are the future. I mean, that's really a wonderful story and I'm glad that you told it because to me, that's it. She just happens to be a teenager. Just think about any age level of anybody who maybe has limited mobility because of injury or any kind of situation, you buy the bike once and you're done, right? Other than maintenance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, basic bike maintenance. And you obviously you have to buy a new battery every five years or so. I mean, if you factor in, uh, you know, long-term the cost of a battery, if you divide that into a yearly cost, on the high side, I'm going to say $150 a year is what it's going to cost you right. after you've bought the bike initially. How much is a bike? I know there's a range, of course, right. but what's what's the range? Bike? The range with me is right at two thousand, you know, all the way up. Okay. The most expensive bike I have right now is seven thousand dollars. The average range of my bikes that, that I sell the most are between two and three thousand dollars. And what do you get for two thousand dollars? You get an above average quality bicycle with uh, a really solid electric drive system right. added to that. You get hydraulic disc brakes. You get a very safe bike. Okay. That's, that's first and foremost. Okay. You know, there's uncountable numbers of cheaper bikes that are available to me as a shop and then to you as a just a consumer. Right. That are less than that price. And I've explored a number of those through the years, and you don't see any of those in my shop anymore. Right. Because it's just, it's not, worth it's not it. something that I want to be promoting responsible out in the world for and be responsible yes. for. Yes. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's probably my only cautionary tale about these bikes is yeah you can buy a really cheap electric bike and it's good to realize that you're putting a lot more 
stresses on that bike than it was possibly originally designed to right. to withstand. And it's kind of a you get what you pay for scenario. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, two thousand dollars. I mean, you can't buy a new motorcycle for two thousand dollars. No. And you know the whole fuel thing and the operating costs and maintenance and upkeep. It seems like the bike is a super reasonable solution, especially in a town like this where you're never going more than like five miles. So, right. I mean, what do you need? Yeah, well, Ashland is like the poster child town for electric bikes because it is small, but we've got some serious terrain challenges. Right. So, uh, well, we got some hills. Yeah, we've some got pretty some, steep got hills some good actually. Hills. Yeah, Morton and really Mountain and. And your bikes will will do that. Every every bike that we sell at this point, I call it the our acid test. When we first build a bike, Nicholas puts it together, and then every one of them goes to the top of Park Street. Okay, to where right. the trail begins. Right. So that that's testing out its propulsion, and then it's a perfect hill coming back down. Right. To start to break in the uh, the brakes. Right. So every bike on our floor has been to the top of Park Street. Okay. At least one time. Yeah, that's the perfect barometer so, for... Exactly. Yeah. If it can't do that, uh, you know, I don't really want to offer it because what's happened is I've had less expensive, less powerful bikes, and I've been straight up with people and say, okay, this bike is it's going to be great for riding around downtown, and they're like, that's perfect, that's all I want. Yeah, but and later I've on... I've seen enough, enough of those people around town. Yeah. I don't know how's it going. I love my bike, you know... Now that I can do this, I really want to do that, right. and I can't do that. I right. kind of wish I had bought a bigger, more powerful bike. Right. Now you've, just, you've eliminated so like, the problem. Okay, yeah, that's just not going to happen anymore right. with me. That's really good, because now you're not having to deal with upgrades and people being disappointed. And, right. Because they want to maximize their riding experience, and Park Street's a fucking nightmare <laughs> hill. And I don't know enough about the motor technology, where it's at now, because I know the power... In the beginning, was it wasn't that much, and it really was just basic assist, right? And like you stop pedaling for a little bit, and you could cruise. But Lee Iacocca's e-bike that he brought to the states in the '70s, you know, I applaud his vision. And unfortunately, that's how old the technology is. Well, it's far older than that. Huh? But that's when we got our first big taste of it here in the U.S. When he brought the, you know, Lee Iacocca from sure, Costa. of course. It was called it was called the e-bike. Huh? And uh, it was an incredibly heavy bike with a really heavy, inefficient motor and lead-acid batteries. So it wasn't very powerful, it wasn't very fast, and it had an incredibly short range. But it was what it so, was. It was the real deal. So it was what it was. I yeah. mean, for better and for worse, it introduced the states to electric bikes. Right. And the for worse part is a lot of people got a sour taste in their mouth thinking, oh, this is just this is foolish. Yeah doesn't make any sense to have such a heavy bike if this is all it can do right well, you know we're light years beyond that now right thankfully and the rest of the world is way ahead of us is what you're saying way ahead of us okay yeah in terms, Why of, is in terms that? of the numbers well it's it's been that way with bicycles in general forever okay you know, everywhere else has been more bike centric than the u.s and part of it for sure you mentioned it is we're a big country you know it's, it's a long distance between everywhere and everywhere else right so that's a piece of it. Right. Beyond that, I, I, I don't know why bikes never really caught on. I guess because cars started here. Right. You know, bicycles were, I'm sure there was a lot more biking going on back in the day. And then 
then the gas engine came along and you know they just jumped on that and rammed it down everybody's throat well they did look at the whole infrastructure is based right. on automobiles they built the country based you know cars Period. king yeah cars has been king yeah we built roads and bridges and an infrastructure to support cars more than to support people frankly is to support yeah, automobiles what year were you born 58 okay i started asking people instead of how old they are just what year they were born it seems less intrusive frankly well that's easier for me to remember I, I often forget how old I am. I'm good around my birthday, and then I, as the year goes on, I tend to forget how old I am. How old do you think you are right now? I am 59. Okay. So you're from Illinois. Where? Uh, I grew up in uh, Addison, western suburbs of Chicago. My parents and my older brother, they lived down in the city, and then when they got pregnant with me is when they bought this house out in you know a brand-new suburb that was carved out of the cornfields. Oh. In, uh, are you a Jewish cat? Yes. And you were living in, out in the cornfields, Jews in the cornfield? We, we actually, we made it in the newspaper because we were the first Jewish family in Addison. And that was newsworthy at the time. And in what year was this? Well, I was born in 58. The article probably came out in the middle 60s. What I was, was it like being the kid. only Jews in the hood? You know, I didn't really know what any of that meant until I went to school. And then there was... I can't remember when it was, but I mean, I was definitely one of the first few years of school. I was chased home by a group of kids, you know, yelling, calling me a dirty Jew and throwing rocks at me. So that's how that was. And that was when I came home. I was like, what does any of this mean? I mean, I didn't even know that I was Jewish until somebody until someone put it in the newspaper? Threw, threw rocks at me. <laughs> wow. And they never would have known, prob- of course, unless that article came out. You would have been fine. It's not you know, like you're probably right because we weren't practicing Jews. Right. I mean, my my father was Jewish. My mother converted to try to satisfy grandma, which that didn't work. But... Wow, that is <laughs> well, no, because I have a similar story there. Yeah. So yeah, actually, I, I got a, a shout out to Howard Morningstar here in town. I've learned more about my Jewish heritage since I've known him than I learned in all the years before wow. moving here. So, so you're right. The kids at school, their parents read the article, and there are Jews here now. <laughs> Get the rocks ready. How scary for you, though, to like all of a sudden be a victim, and you don't even really fucking know why. Right. Yeah, I don't remember it being a pleasant experience. How long did that go on? I don't think it went on very long. You know, maybe it was just one one school year. Okay. And then it passed. I don't know. The good news is, I've always been tall. I've never been very big, but tall and. So I didn't have much trouble growing up with you know anything, whether it was being Jewish or, or whatever. I, I, I wasn't a very happy kid, so I didn't smile much. So between kind of frowning and being tall, most people left me alone. Right. So, so why, why were you such an unhappy kid? Oh my gosh, that's, we could do a whole other show on well, that. Well, we don't problem. have to. We have this one right here. I mean, we don't have to do other shows. For whatever reason, I came in this time with a, a set of awareness that was very different than my family of origin. Yeah. I mean, all I... Are you adopted? Back is like, no, no, I wasn't adopted. They would call me the black sheep. I like to think of myself as the golden sheep of the family. Your family called you the black sheep? Yeah. How many brothers and sisters do you have? We had four boys. Four boys that just wore mom down. Right. You know, I got straight A's in school. Yeah. I never got in trouble. I, I, I knew how to... How to get in trouble and not get caught? I right. Mean, that's the that's the greater truth around that. But I just you know, I just saw the world 
you know, in the way that Ashland people tend to see the world, and that was very different than the worldview of my family. So as far back as I can remember, what I wanted more than anything was just to grow up and be able to start to make my own decisions about things. So I was in a real big hurry to grow up and get out of the house. Interesting. What was your relationship with your parents? You know, it was as good as any of, any of my brothers. So you had a fairly normal childhood for the most part? Yeah, yeah, fairly normal. Yeah. You know, we were the classic family that uh, stuffed all of our emotions. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, just, it was, uh, what was it called, All in the Family? Yeah. Archie Bunker? Yeah. That's a little bit extreme, but not that far beyond the kind of household that I grew up in. So you're a Jewish semi-normal family living in Illinois in a cornfield. <laughs> Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, something like that. What did your dad do for a living? He worked for a company that made industrial sewing thread. Hmm. So he was a salesman, worked his way up into you know upper management, administrative. And did he have to travel for his job, or was he around most of the no, time? No, he did travel. Yeah. He traveled a lot when we were younger, and uh, it was good news for him, it was bad news for us. Did you guys get to hang with him, or did he take you to the ball game, or... You know, stuff. one of my fond memories is because I did so well in school, my dad never had any qualms about taking me out for a few days. Yeah. So I went on quite a few road trips with him. Cool. Around uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan. You know, I, I saw probably more than most people see in terms of really ratty backroom production facilities where, you know, clothing and other textiles are made. Right. I was in a maximum security prison. Down in southern Illinois, that was one of his customers. You know, they make their own uniforms. Oh. They bought thread from my dad. Interesting. I mean, that, that was very memorable. It's still, I, I can, it's like I'm eating lunch there today in the cafeteria with wow. all the inmates. It was pretty intense. And what was your experience? Did you talk to people or were you just... Oh, yeah. Like... I mean, it was very friendly. All I mean, the guys that knew my dad really liked my dad because yeah. what was going on there was the potential to maybe get a job once they got out. Because oh, uh, uh. he did help, uh, you know, place a couple of people after they, they did their stint. Yeah. So it seemed like everybody was really respectful of him. And, you know, I was just a kid. Nobody was really bothering me. Right. And the truth is, the most uncomfortable vibes I got were from the guards instead of the... Uh, the right. Inmates. You know, it was a real sobering experience. And I what I got from that is... Yeah, I don't ever want to end up in here, so... No, that's good. Whatever it takes. Yeah, you didn't you even know, need tough luck. Don't do the things that, you know, that end up with this as the end result. Was your dad a pretty personable guy? Is he still around, your parents? Are no, they both no, around? they're both past. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he was a real friendly guy. Yeah, I can he, see he that. He was a consummate salesman. He was? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he could small talk with anybody at any point in time. Why do you think he ended up in the thread business? How'd that happen? Was that a grandfather thing passed down? Uh, or? No, that was a brother and sister thing. It turns out he was a real troublemaker when he was a kid. Yeah. And he just couldn't keep a job. And his old, my uncle, his older brother, worked for this company. Somehow or another, the the brother and the sister got him. This, this is kind of a cool story. They got him a job in the, in the uh, what do you call it, in the stock room. Yeah. So he started in the Chicago office throwing boxes around in the stock room. Yeah. And when he retired, he was the, you know, the king of the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. So, huh. you know, he, he stuck with that his whole life and... He sold a shit ton of thread, I would imagine. Yeah, he sure did. So that was cool because, you know, I can remember getting a good deal on a really nice sleeping bag at one point in time. Hmm. And there was another time I got a tent and, uh, you know, different things through the years. Right. He had access. I mean, he was selling to the manufacturers, so 
you know, we always seem to have some cool things that we got at incredibly low. I mean, that, that was about as Jewish as I think our family got. It was like we were the, the art of the good deal. Right. And my dad had that part nailed for right. sure. That's funny. <laughs> was your mom a stay-at-home mom, just hang out with the boys and uh, make sure you didn't do stupid yes, shit? Yes, she was up until uh, my two younger brothers. They were, I guess they were both out of school. And then she went back to work. She was a nurse mm. when she met my dad. And then, yeah, she was a stay-at-home mom. And then went back to school, or went back to work when we were all, she was done raising us. Yeah. Did you go to college? I went to three and a half years of college down in Southern Illinois University. What'd you do? Uh, you know, I went there to uh, become a forest ranger. Huh. I wanted to, I just, I wanted to be out in the woods and thought, well, if I figure out a job that keeps me out there, well, then I'll be out in the woods all right. day. So I went to S O S, not S O U S I U because they had a uh, forestry department. Yeah. And uh, along the way, there was one class, there was a, an advanced class elective that I took that was based on Buckminster Fuller's design principles. Yeah. And so that that kind of introduced me to the design department down there, which he actually, Bucky used to teach there way back in the day. Oh. So that, that kind of those glory days were passed, and they were... They were not a decline, but they were they were in between permanent buildings. Right. So the design department was this kind of you know it was sort of a fringe, crazy, but very interesting and exciting place to be. Yeah. And I just just wanted more of that, and before I knew it, I was in the graphic design program in the design department, and let go of the forestry idea altogether. Yeah. And just pursued graphic design. And how long did you do that professionally? I didn't get my degree in school because I got a job offer in Moscow, Idaho, and I thought, okay, let's see. I can keep going to school and pay somebody to teach me how to be a graphic designer, or I can go get a job and get paid to be a graphic designer. Right. It wasn't rocket science. Yeah, yeah. So where are your brothers now? Uh, my older brother passed away. My how number, old is, how number old three. He? You know, we buried him on his 50th birthday. Oh, my God. he was. So that was pretty crazy. What happened? You know, my story is he just, he lost the will to live. Things just weren't working out for him in a big way. And I mean, he actually was, he just moved back to Chicagoland. My dad got him a job with one of his uh, accounts. And prior to that, Robin had found himself. Turned out he was an urban cowboy. Huh. I mean, who would know that? Yeah. He moved down to Houston. He was like the Imelda Marcos of clothing. When he died, I couldn't believe you know, the amount of clothing that he had that we we had to get rid of. I mean, we had, you know, like two dozen pairs of really, really expensive cowboy boots huh. and the fancy this, that, and the other thing. He was just way into the urban cowboy scene huh. living down in Texas. Interesting. And that just, uh, there was a slow decline to all that, and then he just kind of dragged himself back up to Chicago with his tail between his legs, and that hmm. only lasted about a year. And... Specifically, he had multiple strokes. One night in his sleep, he had like four or five strokes Jeez. in a row. And uh, got up the next day, and my mom immediately knew that something was wrong, yeah. she, being a nurse. Yeah. They took him to the hospital. He dropped into yet another one, and within a week, he was dead. Wow. Hmm. So, so that's Robin's story. Don't know where he is now. See him every once in a while in dreams, which is nice. Hmm. Uh, number three, Craig, he's still in the uh, 
western suburbs of Chicagoland. Yeah. He hasn't strayed far from the nest. Yeah. And then my baby brother, Norman, truth is I don't really know where he's at. Hmm. I think the last I heard he was in, where was he? I think he's in North Carolina, maybe selling insurance. How old is he? Hard to know. He is four years younger than me. Okay. So you guys aren't all that far apart in age. No, there was Robin, and then five years to me, there was a, a miscarried daughter in between there. So then there's me, two years to Craig, two years to Norman. Yeah. Huh. And so it's interesting. My my dad's greatest fear when he passed away would be that two things, that my two younger brothers would spend the money that they got from him just to pay bills. And then the second thing would be that we would stray apart and, you know, not be together as a family. Right. Well, we, we never were much of a family. You right. Know? It was by, uh, you know, in appearances, when there were company over, we had a party. Yeah, we seemed like the ideal family. Sure. There, there was no real solid bond there. Right. Ever, really, truly. And so both of those things happened huh. when he passed. My two brothers paid off all their debt and then they were you know at an even state right jerry did the thing that dad wanted to do this was in 2007 yeah so i just i sat on it and in 2008 it instantly became worth half of what it was right. because of 2008 right and it was just it was like the ultimate irony to me that uh, that played out the way it did so it wasn't a, it wasn't a lot of money in the first place and then it was down to you know, less than twenty thousand dollars right. after two thousand and eight. Did you were you able to leverage any of that for your your business? Uh, you know, I a little bit of that ended up in the bike shop. Yeah, most of the bike shop has just been you know sell bike number one, buy two bikes, and so From on scratch, and so on. Yeah, and I did that for the first eight years before I finally got to the point where it was there was more money than I could spend. So then I was starting to actually make a profit. And how long did it take to get to that point? Um, seven years. Hmm. Well, it's good because, I mean, you obviously have stayed the test of time, and that's really any business. It's like, can you just keep going? And without borrowing money. That was a really important thing for me because there were a handful of times where I thought, okay, this is probably the time that I should go borrow some money because this particular deal, I really need to take advantage of this deal. Right. And... And I didn't, and sure enough, every one of those I can look back and go, I'm so glad I did not do that. Right. So there's been this, let's call it divine guidance right. through it that's kept me from getting in over my head right. financially. Right. That's you know, brilliant I, that I, you're I, not in debt. If I, can, if I can't afford to do it, then my trust is that it's, it's not time to do that. Right. And it's really panned out to be true. Well, you just said a lot to a lot of people who, you know, <laughs> typically people get in debt. You know, just to keep going. This year started off really lean because of the intense winter and spring we had. Right. I was way, way off. In two months' time, I, that was made up, and uh, again, I'm ahead of where I was last year. Okay. So there's been pretty outrageous growth for this will be the fourth year in a row now. And are you selling bikes outside of the area? Yes. My net is northern california southern oregon all the way to the coast klamath falls okay you know, i've got a handful of bikes that have gone even farther than that but it's a pretty big circle that people are finding their way up to me just because mm. there, there hasn't been any other alternatives and even as shops have come online they've all been good for my business right 
there, there's a guy in Reading that opened up a shop last year, and I have gotten more business because of from him. this guy because he started off doing such a bad job, and then people got hooked on the idea, and then I was like, okay, I want this bike. I don't know why I can't get it from this guy, but I want it. Where can I get it? Right. And they find their way to me. And so you're in a new location. How long have you been there? This is my third year Okay. over there on Ashland Street. The first year, I actually built the bikes in my living room, and I had them stored and on display, in quotation marks, in a, a storage locker unit that I was renting. Okay. And it didn't take long to figure out that that was not going to fly. Not quite the showroom you were looking for. No. Yeah. I mean, people would call on the phone, and we'd talk for 20 minutes, and they'd be all excited. Okay, I want to come see the bike, take it for a test ride. Where are you? I'd say, well, the bikes are in, you know, I'd give them the name of the storage unit. There'd be a, a, a silent pause. Well, let me check with the wife and see what our schedule is, and I'll call you back. Never call back. Never called yeah. back. And so, I mean, I'm, I may not be the sharpest stick in the in the box, but I'm I'm pretty sharp. I yeah. figured out, yeah, this is that's not working. This is not going to fly. Yeah. You know, I'm asking people to spend two to three thousand dollars. Meet me at a storage locker. Right. It's like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> that's funny. So, how long did it take you to get uh, your store open uh, in Hersey? Uh, it was probably the second year is when that became available. Right. And it was perfect because it's one of the few spots over there that's, it's like a showroom. It's got windows facing the front. Right. And and that's that's pretty much what that is. I mean, when I signed up there, the landlord, he didn't even want a lease. And he said, you know what, here's the story here. People move in here and one of two things happen. You know, they've got a new business like yours. And if they fail... They need to move out, and what difference does it make if I have a lease? If they can't pay me, they can't pay That's me. That's right. Or number two is they they got a good idea, they succeed, and they move somewhere else because they need more space. It's a transitional place. So so month to month is fine with me, and I said, perfect, that's fine with me. Smart guy, yeah. that person. And so that was my little incubator space over there. Right. And then, I mean, it got to the point where I just... I, I had to move. Yeah. There was no choice. I, well, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't hold it back from wanting to grow anymore. Right. And uh, so I had to find a new space. Were you doing it all by yourself at that time, too? I've had a couple of... Back then, I had a few part-time employees. Yeah. And now? And now I've got uh, one full-time guy. Your bike mechanic, man. Yeah. Yeah. Nicholas. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a two-person operation. In the the summertime, we could could use a third person. Right. How much uh, repair and maintenance are you doing in there versus just selling? Percentage-wise, mm-hmm. probably maybe a quarter of it is yeah. the uh, the service work. Right. And is that keep that going? Meaning, what does he do other than you know maintenance on bikes? Is he doing things when bikes come in? Are you guys modifying, customizing, doing any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, all of that. He yeah. builds all the new bikes. He does all the repair work, whether they're on our bikes that we've sold. We also fixed regular bikes oh okay so you know we can handle just about anything okay uh, we've fixed the occasional lawnmower and vacuum cleaner between <laughs> really the, between the two of us we we got a pretty diverse toolkit huh to pull from interesting who's bringing their fucking vacuum in there <laughs> well now that i've said that i almost wish i hadn't because there's going to be a line of people with vacuum cleaners i think it's funny because there's the vacuum shop on Siskiyou, and I think there's a sign in the window that says, we do not want your old vacuum. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, there. to me, there are a handful of businesses 
waiting to be birthed here in the valley. Yeah. If somebody would just get on top of it. Like? Because of the lack of that, we get people with crazy requests coming in. They think, well, let's see, electric bikes. This thing is electric. Maybe they can fix it. And, you know, most times we can. That's pretty interesting. What's the most obscure thing that you've asked to have repaired? I'm trying to think of some of the, the crazier things that have come in. Course, I'm drawing a blank right now. You know, you look a little like Weird Al Yankovic. Has anybody <laughs> ever told you that? No, that's a first. Yeah, a little bit. That's a first. You look a, l- a little bit like a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. A little amalgamation. <laughs> I get John Lennon. Oh, a little bit. Uh, yeah. George Harrison. Yeah. Those are the two biggies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Barry Manilow, back when I was in high school and college, and he was all the rage. That's funny. That's all about the big Jewish nose yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So what's the kookiest thing that someone has brought in thinking that you are equipped to repair it? You know, it would have been some kind of appliance. We fixed appliances for sure and, uh, you know, other quirky vehicles that are electric in some capacity. Hmm. We've got up and running again. The biggest issue there always uh, ends up being parts. Right. You know, people want us to fix anything that's on two wheels. and Do you have the ability to, like, fabricate, you know, stuff? We can fabricate some parts and things. I mean, that's that's an interesting topic you bring up. My bike shop, it's got standard bike shop tools. I've got wood shop tools. I've got machine shop tools. And we use all that stuff, you know, pretty frequently. And so it always amazes me when somebody opens up a bike shop and they buy a you know, just a basic bike mechanic toolkit, you need a bandsaw. You think, well, why would you need a bandsaw in a bike shop? You know, I can give you a dozen reasons huh. why. Just look back through my work orders. Right. So, uh, maybe you need a 3D printer. You ever think about that? Like, you could literally print out parts and things, potentially, and create your own stuff that, that is would, not that even around nice. yet? Yeah. Because you, Nicholas, would love if we had a 3D printer. Well, because you can be an innovator in that way, where you are literally, as bikes come in and new new solutions are needed, you can fabricate things, parts on the fly, essentially based on your inspiration from whatever you know situation is arising. That might be an interesting area of R and D for you guys to really even push this further, is start doing your own fabrication of right parts and pieces that nobody else is doing. You're proprietary. You've got the patent on some shit that nobody else is doing since you're knee-deep in the hoopla anyway. That leads into, to me, it's one of the tricky parts of having a business here in Ashland is, you know, we don't have the population base. Right. So the volume, uh, I would say across the board, any business you're in is not the same, obviously, as if you were in Portland or the Bay Area. And and I know that's the case with my business. If, if I took my exact same business and moved it to a bigger city, I mean, we would just be going gangbusters. Right. Is that and something you would be interested in doing? No. I mean, I'm here because this is where I want to live. Yeah, yeah. I used to ride a bike around town a lot. And then, I don't know why I stopped, but I like the idea of having the assist when I want it. So I can just cruise, as it were, around. I saw one the other day, a smaller, like, kid-sized bike, but with an adult dude on it. It was probably a folding bike. Yeah, I think it was one. Yeah. 20-inch wheels. Looked really cool. Looked like, wow, this is super mobile. I could potentially drag it upstairs. and You could. I could park it in here, yeah? You could fold it up and put it in that closet if you wanted to. How much is that bike? 
the folder that I've got now is 1900 hmm. and it's every bit as powerful as you know some of the most powerful bikes I have I like the bike idea of actually getting some exercise instead of just standing on a machine well you can go just about almost twice as fast legally you can right go 20 miles an hour and right that's, that's a huge difference yeah I just want something easy That'll get me around. That makes me feel at least like I'm on a scooter motorcycle thing right. without being in the gas world and just something easier to maneuver and get around and park and, like you said, fold up and stick in my fucking closet, which right. is genius. And you can take it on the bike path in, in town. You can go on the Bear Creek Greenway. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone to Medford and back on the Greenway? No, I actually walked with my son on the Greenway to Phoenix to go to La Tapatia. Okay. Uh, so that's as far as I've gone is Phoenix. Okay, well, that, that's certainly the most scenic stretch. So you've experienced the concept. It's amazing to me that you've got that little ribbon that's sandwiched between the interstate and Highway 99. It's, it's a completely different world. Yeah. I mean, so. you literally could be out there and nobody for miles. You wouldn't even see anybody for hours, potentially. And you're. it feels like you're out in the forest kind of thing with one road that'll get you pretty far north uh yeah it goes all the way through uh medford dumps you out into central po- or not well it's called central point but it's right right next to the uh, interstate by the fairgrounds over there uh, just a little bit maybe a mile past the fairgrounds okay and then it just drops onto a, a frontage road there's a little bit more of the trail somewhere around the valley of the rogue state park right that you can link to that by riding some back roads and then take that for a short stretch. The okay. vision is eventually it'll go all the way to Grant's Path. So I thought that's what they were actually working on. be nice on. to see that. Yeah. So I'm up for it. Just like when Andy Baxter was in here, I joined his gym for over <laughs> 50. And I love it over there. I've had to stop because of my hernia. And I'm feeling like this is a good answer for me. That I can get what I want. And it would be super reasonably priced to operate. And I'm not leaving a footprint. Exactly. And that's and you're a big deal a hell to me. Of a lot of fun. Yeah, and I'm down for the fun. And I'm at this age where I, I want to scoot, man. I don't want to get in the car. I want to be outside. I want the air on me. Right. You know, I want to be part of my environment, not driving through it like I'm at a fucking zoo. So I'll be coming to see you yeah, when I come, can come uh, take a test ride. Yeah, that's what I need to do. You need to suck me in with the test drive, where I now just need to figure out how to pay for this thing. But I, I get everything I want. So, perfect. If that's what I want, I'm going to have it. And we do have financing available. You course. do? Even the guys schmucks Just like me? Out there. Even, really? Even you. Wow. All right. Well, now I'm definitely <laughs> suckered me in. Let me know when's the best time for me to come in and do that test drive. Well, earlier in the day, just because it's so damn hot right, right. now. Right. Right. So, anytime after 11. Tuesday through Saturday. Okay. Sunday and Monday are our mental health days. One of my days off, I wanted it to be a weekday to beat the crowds. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, nothing was open on Sunday. And, I mean, most places weren't even open on Saturday. You probably remember this. And then it was a big deal. Oh, you know, so-and-so store, they're open on Saturdays now. And I was like, well, yeah, that's great. Surely they'll never be open on Sunday. And then eventually something was open on Sunday. I was like, oh, my God, that's almost sacrilegious. But there you have it. And this is how overly commerced we become is... It's business fucking 24 hours a day. Hopefully more than my mother's listening to this broadcast (laughs) and that people are going to maybe be inspired to go pop into your place and take a test drive because I think that's probably the seller, man. You see these beautiful machines and they really are beautiful, 
and uh, and high functioning, and that's what evolution is. Is they told two friends, somebody bought a bike and said, "It's the fucking greatest thing I ever did for myself." Right. And then other people see that and they go, "I want the greatest thing you did for yourself for me." And I, I see that that's it's going to blow up pretty big over the next ten years. Yeah, it is. Back of my shirt says "Ride the Future" because that's that's the truth of it. Right, Jerry. It's great to talk to you. It's been and, fun, uh, and I I totally appreciate you. Maybe saying a lot more than you anticipated saying. Yeah, we went places I wasn't anticipating, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I hope this is about, going, you know, other places. You know, just like I want to do on your bike, go other places. Right. All right, brother. Much love to you, and uh, go make money. Okay. All right, brother. Have a good day. You too, man. Well, that's the show. It was super fun to hang out with Jerry and, uh, and get a little more out of him than he had expected. It's really cool to have this opportunity to, again, learn about people that I've known for some time on maybe a sweet level, an unknowing. And again, finding out uh, more information about my friends uh, just deepens uh, the relationship. And so I appreciate their willingness and generosity to come up to my little apartment and uh, hang out with me for a little while and just chat it up. I am uh, texting right now with Boo. I sent her a message just saying, I hope you're okay. And we're just playing a little catch-up. I have no intention of uh, reattaching myself to her in a romantic way at all. I think she could be a cool friend. I think we could still learn from each other. I, I just, I like being alone. And interestingly enough, and the universe is so fascinating in how it responds to me specifically, uh, ever since I said goodbye to Boo, I've had a lot of female energy in this town. Lots of ladies around, beautiful, sweet. Just they all came out of the woodwork, so to speak. You know, it's about, you know, uh, what is it, uh, the law of attraction? Maybe it's also the law of availability. That's, that's the new one. I just came up with that on the fly here. The law of availability. I believe we are allowed certain purviews into certain aspects of our life based on an awareness and the law of availability, our availableness is of being able to receive essentially things that are probably out there all the time, but we're so busy and uh, deluded with stuff and things that uh, we don't really recognize the huge amount of magic that's going on around us all the time. And all I'm doing is I'm just, I'm being aware of it and sharing what I think that I'm aware of with you and, uh, and having a good time doing it. So there you go. Much love in your direction and word to your mom's uncle. To find out more about e-bikes or electric assisted bikes, please go to ashlandelectricbikes.com. Good afternoon, Ashland Electric Bikes. This is Jerry. Jerry, what's up? What's going on? This is Mark Ehrensberg, in case you didn't recognize my enthusiasm. I was just going to say, I could tell by the enthusiastic response that it was you, Mark. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good. Busy. Okay. Tuesday is our Monday, and they're always busy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm not going to take up too much of your time. I just wanted to uh, complain about my purchase. 
All right, tell me what's happening, and we'll make it right. No, it's right, Jerry. I fucking love that thing, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm on. Nice. I'm on day three of riding. I did a, I did a quick ride around Eagle Mill and such, and it didn't even dent the battery. And then I, I let it charge overnight per your your uh, recommendation. And then on the second day, I I did it again, except I went a little further and then dented the battery one notch. And then again, as per your uh, recommendation to get that battery charged up, ready to go for the long haul. I, I charged it again. And then yesterday I rode to Phoenix and back to get a couple of tacos and did the whole ride to my ex-wife kid's house for the eclipse. So that put a real dent in it. And so today is day four. And again, it is the greatest purchase I've ever made. I'm pretty sure. Nice. I'm so glad to hear that. And not only did I realize I can go over 20 miles an hour and rip up that hill. Coming back into Ashland, I was clocked at about 18 miles an hour going up that hill uh, as I stopped and said hello to a friend getting some biodiesel in his car. Uh, he said he couldn't believe how fast I was moving. I, I just want to say thank you. I also taught my daughter how to ride yesterday because I'm going to be sharing it with her uh, when she goes back to school. Nice, nice. Well, good. You just made one more person happy, so thanks for checking in about that. Yeah, of course, brother. That's what makes the crazy days worthwhile, our phone calls like this, so always worth taking the time. I'm thrilled to be able to make the call because it's not something I ever actually imagined as part of my life, but it clearly is something I can no longer imagine not being in my life, and I can picture this for everybody. It's a little bit of an expensive purchase, but I have to let the people know that... uh, I got finance, and I'm a fucking credit dirtbag, and I got finance, and even though that bike is going to cost me about $150,000 for an 1899 bike, it's worth every penny, so Absolutely. I, I will be letting people know that this is the way you want to ride the future, you got to roll into an electric bike, and it will totally change your life. There you go, you got it, spread I, the gospel. You know I will. All right, man, enjoy the day, make money, sell bikes, have fun. Okay, thanks, Mark. Thank you, Jerry. Ciao, buddy. I am Citizen 44.